morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. Uh, I'm Scotty Kemp again, standing in for uh, Ica on the Creative Me podcast. Uh, this is episode 56, I believe. And this is with local historian and self confessed storyteller Fiona Jane Brown. Uh, I hope you like this episode. There's a lot of stories, there's a lot to get through. Uh, I think Fiona's probably somebody who could come back on here and tell some tell some stories of Aberdeen and facts and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, hope you enjoy. Go share it, uh, like it, comment on it, let people know what you think. And yeah, enjoy. We're on our way. Okay, okay it's uh, Scotty Kemp again here, standing in for Aika on Creative Me podcast, episode 56, I think, I believe. And I'm here with Fiona Jane Brown of many, many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let her tell you about all of them soon. So, how are you doing, Fiona? Um, hi, Gary. Um, yeah, I'm Fiona Jane. Um, one of the things I'm most known for is <clears throat> founding Hidden Aberdeen Tours. And also writing uh, local history books, amongst other things. Indeed, many other things. So, yeah, I mean, I think I probably first saw your name, uh, your book, your Hidden Aberdeen book, which has been printed a few times, is it? Yeah, um, it's actually sold out of its third run, so that means 9,000 copies since 2013. I'm overwhelmed with that. I've got two copies. (laughs) (laughs) Good old. Uh, no, that's excellent. So you're uh, you're a champion for local history. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, local culture. Absolutely. Local people. Indeed. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll probably my Doric will probably come out more as we go as we as we <laughs> yeah, go. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so where did you? I suppose I right, go back. Kind of where did all that kind of interest come from? What was well, the genesis? It's actually when I was little, um, in primary school in mm-hmm. Peterhead, where I was brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived there till I was 18 and then moved to Aberdeen. And apart from a brief sojourn in Portsmouth, I've always been here since. Okay. Uh, but no, we had a, quite a few really good primary teachers in those days and there was no curriculum for excellence or 5 to 14. So teachers could teach local history. Yeah. And it just grabbed me. And then when I went to Peterhead Academy... I had a fantastic first year history teacher, um, Alistair Strachan, and it just, I just was so hooked. Yeah. And then the other thing was the Raymond Anderson's photograph books, because he's mm-hmm. a former editor of the Aberdeen Journals. And the first time my dad bought one of Aberdeen in the 70s, I was like saying to my dad, why was there so many cinemas in Aberdeen? And he says, why, there was a lot. Yeah. And he says, we had three in Peterhead. I was right. like, wait, like we yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. a proper one anymore. Oh, yeah, we meet yeah. in the community centre. But... That got me going. It was a cinema to start with, finding out where they were. Yeah. Because Aberdeen actually had 34 uh, cinemas running simultaneously at one point. If I'm right, that's the, the book. Is it Silver Screen in the Silver City? That's right, So if you yeah. can find that. As I, Mike, I, I, I'm yeah. lucky to have a copy of that. Yeah. That's kind of the history of cinema in Aberdeen. That's it's right. It's, it's Mike, Michael Thompson's book, and it is in the library, but you can sometimes get second-hand copies. Aye, it library. pops yeah. up, does it, time mm-hmm. to time. Aye, people are astonished at that, are they? It's uh, <laughs> yeah. pre-TV, I suppose. I know, um, I know. Lots yeah. of cinemas. All right, so that's quite interesting. You kind of mm-hmm. kick things off. And uh, school, I suppose, I having good school teachers that 
find that interesting thing that sparks your interest and they, they, they get you going to the yeah well I mean um, the point the reason what made what made them good teachers was they were good storytellers yeah. now I call myself a storyteller mm-hmm. and a historian and it's because I try and tell things in an attractive non-boring way yeah. and my second um, strength in my bow is being a folklorist so I've actually gone into more depth with the stories and yes. folk tales yeah, yeah, yeah. that I found out about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Um, so after, so you said that was your in Peter Heed mm-hmm. all that time? Yeah. Yes, till 1991. That's when mm-hmm. I started my undergrad. Okay, mm-hmm. and where was that? That was it? That was at Aberdeen, Aberdeen doing yeah. English and History joint. And that's where I discovered Gaelic language as well. Okay, mm-hmm. Gaelic language. And were you, obviously being Peter Heed, <laughs> uh, you know, in the North East, a lot of folk spectacularic mm-hmm. was that sort of interesting to you did you or was it just part of daily life did you think of it as anything special or i think i started to realize there was a problem that the establishment had a problem with it when uh. there was a debate in our a third year english classroom and the people again i got picked to speak in favor of doric and i just got completely lambasted and i'm thinking right. you are local as well how yeah, yeah, dare you yeah, yeah, yeah. and ever since i sort of when i was doing my thesis i and my masters i interviewed so many local people mm-hmm. i had all of this dialects and then you started realizing doric has loads of sub dialects yeah, as well yeah, and yeah. it's like there's words that we use in peterhead that country folk wouldn't yeah, use yeah, absolutely and it, aye, it's aye. i am really it's quite rich isn't it, it. Yeah, yeah yeah so that's because when i was a kid it was probably um looked on as being common mm. if you spoke mm-hmm. in that way True. You, were, you were common, and, and not in a not in a positive way. No, no. It was it was similar, I suppose, to what goes on. What did go on the BBC mm-hmm. where they ironed out mm-hmm. any regional accents, yeah. you know, and you just end up with a sort of mm-hmm. broad language or or, or mm-hmm. dialect that's kind of dull. But yeah. June Imre of Torrey, who was again comedian, she was the first Scot to be employed by BBC mm-hmm. London and an on-camera announcer, yeah. and. That's the beauty that I think a lot of us have. We can do this thing called code switching. That's what linguists call it. And it's basically, you switch to English when you yeah. know you need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. nowadays, I find myself speaking a mixture of Doric and English. Yeah. And uh, again, then you tell people, well, Gaelic's a separate language, a completely aye. separate aye. thing. But aye. no, the worst experience I ever had, again, first year at uni, and some of, again... Supposed friends of mine from the West Coast, Ayrshire, shall mm-hmm. we say, like were critical to me and said, oh, you can't speak like that. You'll never get a job. They'll think you're a tink. And I'm like, uh, how dare you? It. You not uh, live insulted me and language you insulted yeah, the travellers yeah, as well. Yeah, Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that is, that seemed to be the, uh, the thought. Uh, and it probably still is. I think, you know, there probably is still a prejudice there to wait. The ways people yeah. people speak. Well, again, kind of looked on, looked what on. I think is good is the fact that we can, a lot of us can code switch because we knew we had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And from my grandparents' generation onwards, it was a case of you had to speak English in school yeah. to get on. Yeah. And my biggest realisation that Doric 
was the dialect of Scots. That Scots was a language. Was when I worked down in Portsmouth, which is south, the furthest south of England you could probably go. get, <laughs> part of the Isle of Wight. And I had to change every single word. I yes. couldn't say I. I couldn't say fit. Uh, I had to change uh, every word. So I was actually speaking another language. Another language. Yeah. So I That's interesting. What do you call that? Code switch. Code switch. That's uh, fit. Uh, okay. Well, That's uh, 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 local professor Robert McCall Miller. He's a way to do a survey about a Doric dialect mm-hmm. in Scots language. And that is the sort of thing that sort of his expertise level would speak about in that it's just, you have this, because you've been educated, you have the code for the English language yeah. in your head yeah. and you can jump to that because you oh. know, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what's here, yeah. I'm at the doctors or yeah. meet the minister, so I'm going to speak English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's mm-hmm. interesting. So where did, your, where did your studies lead you after that? Well, um, the first degree after that, I actually went to Robert Gordon's uh, in 1996 to do librarianship, mm-hmm. which was found very useful for mm-hmm. doing research. Research, yeah, yeah. And then I had like a 10 year break from academia because I was working in libraries. I worked at, well, for a very significant long time at the old Aberdeen College, out at the Clinton Library, and okay. worked in RGU libraries oh. as well, old Kebleston Library, all the oh, libraries right. that have gone oh, now, I've worked in them. <laughs> And then, as I say, when I was in my fifth year at teaching the college, I was an IT instructor. Again, that's my another thing. I'm a bit of a a geek. But enough to be able to teach basic IT for the students. And I realised, I'm really interested in folk singing, because the Gaelic kind of helped me to join the Gaelic choir. Mm -hmm. And I found out about the Killerly Singing Festival, and I went to it, and I met my old English tutor, Colin Milton, and I was like, oh, hey, if it you do, you knew. Mm-hmm. And, of course, his dad's for Tory, so he just goes straight out the door with me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, me, are you wanting to come and do the part-time masters? I was like, I've no money. He says, ah, oh, but there's, there's funding for the fees. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, then. Uh-huh. So that was it, 2004, started the masters. Yeah. Found out that there was this subject, folklore, and I thought, I wish I'd known that this uh-huh. existed yeah. before. And then the dissertation was all about the local fisher folk, about okay. their beliefs and their identity. Yeah. And then I was very, very pleased because I got a distinction. Excellent. Because I was always unhappy. I'd only got a 2 1 undergrad um, <laughs> because I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well. So I got a distinction. So that's a first. I was like, woohoo. And then my external examiner, uh, Marion Bowman, who actually works for uh, the Open University, she said, she says, I think you could go further with this. Okay. So year later, got funding. In the old days when the university did have spare funding, mm-hmm. got funding to do um, to pay the fees, and then I got a job running an oral history project. Okay. So I was oh. field work, field work, field yeah. work. It was coming out of my ears when oh. I had a ball. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. really good. So it's just that sort of chance meeting with somebody yes. that sort yeah. of snowballed. Mm-hmm. That's yep. quite interesting. It is. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And leads to where you are uh, kind of now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, you're kind of you're you're educated up to the wazoo, <laughs> PhDs and all sorts. I know. When did sort of the the the, the idea to sort? Of, I mean, you've got a few things people might not know about. You've, mm-hmm. You know, you've written plays. You've got a film that's on the that's back right. just now. Can yeah. I hover on a bit? Uh-huh. Books, all this sort of stuff. So, did the books come first? What no, no, the books were last uh, because what happened? Um, it's a, loads of people do not know this at all, that way back at library school, I wanted to do something 
called History on Your Doorstep, which would be like an educational local history DVD. Mm-hmm. And the title, that tagline, I got from my friend Patrick White, who locals <laughs> walk in. It's Patrice, the oh, uh, celebrity <laughs> hairdresser. <laughs> and like I've always acknowledged that Patrick gave me that line. Mm-hmm. And it never came to anything, um, mainly because... I didn't end up doing the MSc. I just finished at the diploma for librarianship and went away to work. Mm-hmm. And then when I was finishing the last year of my PhD, I had finished the oral history project. And because I'd been volunteering in special collections library at uni, the then curator, Siobhan Convery, recommended me to do a job, work, do some work for the police records officer. Okay. And that's how I got to do the Blitz project, okay. more on that later. And then I met um, Inspector Ian Wallace, a policeman, who we were both petrol heads, and that was the beginning of a fab okay. friendship. <laughs> and I was about to finish my contract uh, with um, the records officer, and then on the Friday, and this is Woodhill House, I'm sitting on the other side of my partition, Ian pops over and he says, are you going for a job? I says, fit job. He says, curator. I was like, really? I says... And I looked up, I says, Ian, it's too late. He says, look, look, apply for it, apply for it. Like, you'll get an interview. And I was like, you're mad. So I did it, and I wiped the floor with a competition. Nice. And I got the job. Yeah. So for a whole other two years, it was a one-day-a-week job, but I loved it so much, I put in far more hours than I ever got paid for. for did yeah. loads <laughs> of stuff. And then in the, I think it was like the May of 2009, May, it was August, August 2009, I was pals with a lot of photographers on Facebook and uh, they were always saying, oh, where can we go? Where can we go? I was like, hey guys, I'll take you around Old Aberdeen and tell you a bit of the history. That's where it started. Okay. I did two runs of that yeah. and then I thought with my police interest I could do a true crime tour yeah, yeah. and people were crazy for that. And then I got a job in Portsmouth and I was away <laughs> and people were like, ah, what's happening? But again, because it was bang in the middle of the recession, uh, there was no funding to carry on my job okay. after the six oh, months. Yeah, yeah. So I came home and started up a Hidden Aberdeen Tours. And then that was 2011. And then I was writing a blog based on the information uh-huh. I was finding. Yeah. And sent it to one publisher, got a rejection, sent two black and white publishers in Aberdeen, they, in Edinburgh, sorry. They loved it. Uh-huh. And they said, hey, have you got more? You've got 40 little essays here. And I was like, yeah, I can do All up right. to 50. So in... And I've still got the poster from Waterstones <laughs> up in my bedroom nice. saying, I think it was, it was June uh, 2013 it launched and it was in Waterstones. And again, I'm not boasting, I'm actually giving facts here because it's the previous manager, Lee, I got on very well with him. And he said to me later, he says, do you realise you've sold 200 books tonight? Nobody's ever done that in a launch night. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then another book came and another. So three years in a row, I did Hidden Aberdeenshire, The Coast, which was my favourite because Uh I got to write about my hometown and my grandparents, villages and whatever. And then Hidden Aberdeenshire, The Land, which went into the West and the Dee and the Dawn side. So I've been a long break, but hoping now to do Hidden Aberdeen 2, which will all be about people, interesting people okay. that have either come from Aberdeen or come to Aberdeen and done amazing and done, things. And done stuff, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, the yeah, you mentioned sort of like books. You, you'd looked at books of the 70s. Mm-hmm. 
um, all the old Aberdeen books and stuff. I remember one. There was a walk in the walk in the walk in the mat. Walk, walk That's the mat. even older than that. That's, you know, the, the cover of that <laughs> was pretty vivid with the cobblestones. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of, I that was always quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Was lucky to, yeah. yeah, family that was interested in local history yeah. as well too, which yeah. uh, is yeah. important. But your, I so your 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 hidden tours seem to be popular, and are they quite are they seasonal? Do yeah, you, do you we, sort of... um, what we tend to do, excuse me, is just work from. It's either Easter or mid March that I start. Yeah. Depending, Easter so late this year. I start on the eighteenth of March, but now. In the last two years, I started doing indoor talks over oh, the yeah, winter yeah, so I could oh, finance good, yeah. my winter yeah, yeah, instead yeah, yeah. of signing on. Because you hear so many horror stories about universal credit. I was like, okay, Aye. I'm not signing on, no, ever. And they've been as popular for older folk that mm-hmm. can't come to things, the tours, that no, can't no, walk. Yeah. And they love anything that's within living memory, like the cinemas, like the blitz, like shops, like yep. trains and trams. People yeah, go yeah, crazy yeah. for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nostalgia. That's yeah, it, is it? Yeah. But that's it. Nostalgia's massively Absolutely. big business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so is um, what they call dark tourism, which is the yeah. crime history. Ah, the crime stuff, yeah. <laughs> and so on your tours, are they, um, do you, is it just yourself? Or <clears> do you have a, a squad <clears> of... Um, Right, what normally happens on a, what I call a straight history tour, um, I lead the tour, mm-hmm. I take about maximum 30 people round a site. It's yeah. usually a theme, as I say, tonight we'll be doing round old Aberdeen and mm-hmm. uh, St Machers. And then we have what's called the mini tours, which are one hour long yes. tours, sort of, which are bits out of longer tours. Yeah. And then the ghost tours. And it Aye. does confuse a few people, and I've got to say... No, like it's not paranormal investigation, but I have done two paranormal investigations. I'm getting into that as well, just because the public are interested in it. And the ghost tours, we've got um, the original Blood and Granite, the murder history tour. That was inspired by Norman Adams' book of the the same name. Yes. And I've got local actors, people that are. I mean, amateur shouldn't be a bad word. I've got some of the no. best amateurs in Aberdeen. It just means they're not yeah. paid huge yeah. sums of yeah. money. Yeah. It's not a them, reflection of their yeah. abilities. Some of them write yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. some of yeah, them whatever. Yeah. So basically, over time, folk have been trained up in different characters. Yeah. And I had friends over yesterday from Ohio, and they were saying, oh... We didn't go on the Edinburgh Ghost Tour because we don't like the idea of a jumper outer. Okay. They, they'd got that phrase. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I said, and she, my, uh, Gretchen, the lady, had been um, four years ago to visit me and had come on a ghost tour. Yeah. And she'd seen what I do because it's more like street theatre. So it's like what I call playlets. Oh, right. So, for instance, the Burkers and Body Snatchers one, since we're in the anatomy rooms. I tell the story of how the anatomy school at Marshall was a very feared place because when the Birkenhair scandal exploded in 1829, people were convinced that these grave robbers were not robbing graves, they were murdering people. So again, we do that and right out in the quad here, we enact what's kind of an urban legend, a story that's very common that I first heard from Stanley Robertson, very famous traveller, singer and storyteller, and he told me about this drunk man who was found in the streets and by the students, and they thought, ooh, he's dead, we will take him away and dissect we'll him. Dissect him 
Of course, he was not dead. And so we've got a character comes round holding yeah. his shirt with fake guts and fake blood. And it's very good <laughs> because cool. people are not expecting no, it. No, no, no. So that's what you get at the All very right. start. Right. And then uh, they end up at the end of the tour. We usually only have two uh, playlets in the regular ghost tours. Yeah. At the end, they meet a real-life grave robber called James Sangster, Mm -hmm. who was around in the 1800s, uh, 18th century, sorry, so 1700s. And he was nicknamed Satan Sangster because he sold his wife's body to the anatomist and lied about it as well. So uh, Satan Sangster pops up and uh, he's got a sack with... Well, it's actually a dummy in it, but people are like, we've got a hand, rubber hand that sticks Hanging out, it's it covered out. in blood, and people are like, oh. That's excellent. So, that's, excellent. that's the kind of thing. That's and good. then we have our big seasonal finish and beginning, so we're like, round about Halloween we'll do something. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Last couple of years they've all been indoors, but again, started the season, we had an indoor talk called Killer Quines, which was all okay. about murderesses in yes. Aberdeen. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's the kind of thing. That's interesting. And what's the sort of makeup of people that come along? Are you, do you see a lot of tourists and locals, or is it...? Well, what is wonderful, and I've got to say this, is that it's mainly locals, uh, because okay. they're so keen to know their history and understand, like, why people hold a fuss when the council knocks down an imported building. Yeah. But, I mean, as I say, what happens with visitors, I tend to get them contacting me separately and, like, I maybe have a little tour when they want. So it's private bookings. But sometimes you'll get people popping up. Uh, One time on the Blood and Granite tour, we had a a guy who was a retired judge from Philadelphia. And when I told him the story about the sack murder (laughs) when Helen Priestley was murdered, he says... He said, that's a miscarriage of justice. And I was like, I, because Jeannie Donald, the murderess, never spoke up. And that's how she got her foot. So, yes, sometimes. All, sort, all sorts of people from yeah. around the world. Can, can surprise you. It's yeah. nice, to see, um, nice to hear you say that uh, there's a lot of locals you know, that want to, want to come along and, and learn mm-hmm. stuff about their own city and stuff. Yeah, Important, it's, is it? Yeah. It's true. And then we get charities like uh, the Breadmaker, who, of course, right. employ uh, disabled yeah. adults. They, I took them on the medieval tour last year. Yep. They absolutely adored it. Oh, so they've asked for another one this oh, year. Fantastic. And again, we can. I've occasionally done schools tours, although I'm not really set up to do that. But it proves something I learned when I worked at Archeolink a long time ago that a certain age of children, about five, six, seven, they yep. love blood and gore. <laughs> they absolutely, absolutely adore it. I went to Tullis <laughs> Primary School last uh, autumn. And I was telling them about synthetics, and one boy shouted out, Tell me about the grave robbers! And I was like, There you go, exhibit A. That's brilliant. Uh, easy audience. Uh, well, mostly, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's how you get the children. You sort of. Uh, they like being scared, some of them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 I suppose it's just the same reason when you're a kid you like to watch the horror movies. Mm. And when I was a kid, like the Hammer films and oh, all yeah. that, you know. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I love all that sort of stuff. I and I do remember, as I said at home, you know, my dad used to buy all the Aberdeen books, and there was always that kind of the the darker side mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. All of it was, but mm-hmm. that was a, a yeah. cool in you. Mm-hmm. So, I so your your tours are obviously uh, flying. Actually, before I, I go on, of course, we were going to be doing a a bit of something, a wee project for my day job work up mm-hmm. at Optimus so for folk who don't know I work in a an old building um, 
Richmond Rooms on Den North called Gordon House, mm-hmm. and you're going to write up a wee kind of mm-hmm. thing about it that we can share mm-hmm. um, because it's a again, it's just you know you can walk past these buildings in Aberdeen mm-hmm. and you just don't know what stories are behind the behind the doors, eh? Yeah. So it's good to it'll be good to learn a little oh, bit. Yeah. Well, learn a little I, bit more about that. I can give you two snippets. Aye. The one reason it's called Gordon House is because Lady Aberdeen, uh, Isabel Gordon, lived mm-hmm. there in the nineteen thirties during and during the war. Yeah. But before that, the building, um, a. When we had a look outside the house, remember yes. you said about the weird motto, and I yes. told you it was a Keith's motto. Aye. Well, I since found that it was built in the late 1870s for William Keith, who was a granite merchant. Oh, okay. So that's why he's yeah, got the motto so far, on it. Yeah. And for anyone listening, just Google, you know, Ruth Lottet and Gordon House, and you'll mm-hmm. see it's, uh, yeah. it's rather grand, is it? It's fabulous. The, the, mm-hmm. It's no surprise that a granite merchant had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they must have all been competing mm-hmm. against oh, each other. Absolutely. Building. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Uh, look at my fancy house. Well, just go down Queen's Road to look at number 50. That's a palace. So, <laughs> number 50 is the one that the is a long the favour that Olive Garden used to be. Yeah, something right? like that, yeah. Aye, that's, a, yeah. that's, that's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that in a few a few different books mm-hmm. over, over the years. Mm-hmm. So, aye, so where was I going to go? Yeah, I want to talk to you about your... Um, your your film that has been yeah. going doing the rounds last year mm-hmm. and hopefully it's going to be released this year. So for folk that don't mm-hmm. know, what's the uh, what's the the, <coughs> sort of, the story there? Right, the film's called No Ladies Please, and we got um, a seventy five percent of our budget grant from the council, which is great. And it's all about a true story that happened in nineteen seventy three when at the music hall in. April of that year, the Scottish TUC had their conference and uh, one of the delegates happened to be the George Robertson, who later went on to become famous in Tony Blair's government, and he went back and he, at lunchtime, and he said, here, we've been discussing sex discrimination. The sex discrimination bill had started to go into Parliament at that Mm -hmm. time. And he talked about the grill, this pub that was across the road, a Victorian pub that had Again, went way back to the 1870s. And he said he was disgusted to find a sign that said, no ladies, please. And another delegate, a young woman, um, Jackie Baird is her name, but um, she said, well, why don't we go over there and order a drink? So (laughs) they did, and they invaded it. And the owner at the time, who was the father of the current owner, um, Eddie Watson, he didn't know what to do because he didn't have female toilets. Yeah, that yeah. was the reason for the ban. Yeah. And it, the history of the sign was nothing to do with him. It went way back to the previous owner in 1922 who actually remodelled the front that we see now yeah, at the grill. Yeah. And so I decided that this was a fantastic story. It's kind of a couple of years ago when I was researching pubs and uh-huh. finding out their background uh-huh. if they'd started as a pub or whatever. Yeah. And so talk to my friends at Crow House Projects, who are local filmmakers, talk to actors, put out a call for actors, wrote the script, got a friend of mine, uh, Yvonne Heald, who I hope that uh, Icar is going to talk to later on. Um, She's fair background, but I wanted a female director, and we had a, a 
female gaffer in the crew. Um, <laughs> male uh, DOP, director yeah. of photography, but it's uh, Rory Holwerda of Crow House Productions, and he's very good, so that was fine. And we had the split and balance in the cast. I would have loved it to be 50-50, but it was 48% women, 52% <laughs> men, only because we had to have... The, land, the landlord and the men in the pub, the locals who are rude to the women that come okay. in. Yeah, and, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. To and, make up the not yeah. right. And one of them, um, one of them actually, well, two of them actually get talked round. And there's one that uh, play, played by my friend Matt Geldert, he won't mind me using his name, because uh, he works at the Tory Research Station and he's written a lot of pantos for okay. his work. And he was your typical chauvinist, misogynist male. <laughs> and uh, Lauren Hall, who plays Jackie in the thing, she uh, challenges him at one point and he blows a uh, horrible smoke, I might add, into her face. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of the best little bits in the film. <laughs> yeah. So it's a short film. Yeah. Uh, we were calling it a docudrama when we applied for funding, but it's turned out to be a mini feature okay. because it's fantastic. Yeah. I just adore it. I mean, yeah. as I'm saying, I was producer, I was writer, I and I've then had to chase everybody around to get yeah, editing yeah, and that yeah. done. So everybody was so hands on. Right. It's only the actors that haven't seen it. Oh, that's interesting. So I know. Oh, wow. I've tried to keep them out, yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. but I had to show some of them a wee bit at the end because the last scene they did the, the audio re-recorded, so okay. they saw like. 40 seconds and we are really hoping that we get it finished by May but we filmed it last August and really when you're working with people originally Aberdonians but are scattered to the four winds it's really hard to get things finished but we eventually said okay if we're not going to make our first uh, deadline of International Women's Day we will keep going until we're happy with it yeah so that's it. Hopefully, May. I do not That'll know. <laughs> no, as you say, I mean, everyone's got jobs and other commitments and family and and stuff. So to pull them all together every now and again would be difficult. Mm-hmm. So what's the um, what's kind of holding back finishing it? Is there still there's is work it technical going, stuff? Yeah, there's, it's all technical. There's yeah. work going on just now to do the sound mix. Okay. And again, a local uh, videographer, Darren Campbell who owns Campbell Media, he, he tends to specialise in wedding vi- videography, but he said to me, he says, I'd like to be remembered for something other than weddings. And I says, well, come on board <laughs> there then. You go, yeah. And our editor was a graduate of Nescall, Grant Jemison, who now works for a media company in Edinburgh sure. called Freakworks. He did the bulk of the picture editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rory's completing the picture editing. And then again, we have another uh, student graduate of... Nesco Film School to do the colorization to make it look 70s. Okay, uh, so yeah, yeah, give it that look. The sound is actually as important as the picture. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize how hard it was and right. tried to do some editing for a university project and sync right. up sound. Sync up sound with, if you've with lost picture. bits of sound, right. it's it's really hard work. Right. So that's yeah, why it's yeah, taken yeah. nearly nine well, months. Well, it takes, I mean, it takes <laughs> a, I suppose it takes a fully funded, <laughs> humongous budget Hollywood movie. A long time. It takes pre-production, production, post-production. It's all all time, is it? So, yeah, and we didn't have a Hollywood budget. No, I didn't have that, did you? No, <laughs> craft services and a, no. your own trailer to keep you. No, we did everything. <laughs> and when we weren't filming, we're standing outside the pub where we filmed, which was the city bar. By the way, I've got to tell everybody that we had to film in an alternative pub. Yeah, so the interiors were the fitty. 
Yes. And the exteriors, obviously. Well, we didn't uh, do any exteriors to save us that. any trouble. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, um, I noticed in the news recently, so the girl's up for sale, though. Eh? That's true, yes. That's One a, of uh, my actors, Andy Davis and Lee, spotted it, and he told me, and he says, don't tell anybody, it was in the pub last night. Yeah. Next day it was in the papers. Right. I was like, <laughs> he told somebody. Oh, wow! Well, somebody, <laughs> somebody told the somebody. papers. So, yeah. I, I, I didn't really read much of it, but I, 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 was, I wondered whether it's uh, whether it's sold as a as a pub or is it you know just a I think time, would, to, time to finish I think the need to sell it is a going concern uh, because it's fitted out as a pub yeah, yeah. I think my concern would be the toilet issue because right. the women's toilet that they didn't install 1998 <laughs> yeah. let me add on <laughs> uh, because again I don't mean any harm against Eddie Watson but he sailed as close as the wind to, as he right. could and the bridge bar the bridge was another called well. Brett yeah, yeah. and right. The, he, his son Graham told me that the reason his dad finally gave in and put in a little woman's toilet, like a, a teeny right, little tiny, toilet, tiny. a cupboard, uh, was because the Star and Garter, which is in the street behind, right. they started getting bouncers and originally the pubs had an understanding that the ladies could go in there because that was a gigantic okay. pub and had aye, aye. like two sets of loos. But the bouncers were like, no, no, you've got to buy a drink. And they were like, so finally okay. he gave in okay. but I've, I say, I've spoken to so many women over the years that have said oh it was a challenge to go into the grill before the toilet and like you would actually get <laughs> a you'd probably go with a guy yeah. and get him to stand outside the door if you Aye, wanted, to you wanted to pee and yeah, it was yeah, like brilliant yeah, yeah. so I don't know I think the problem again is modern health and safety yeah, rules yeah. I think there's going to have to be I mean I don't want the interior of that pub the to be red because it's beautiful. I mean, again, for folk that have never been, yeah. if you ever walk past it, you might mm -hmm. think to yourself, Christ, I'm not going in there. <laughs> um, but the interior is spectacular. It's, it's beautiful. It's... The, the woodwork, the plaster work. Yeah, I think it's something like walnut wood panelling. It's unbelievable. It is and basically... it still has little yeah. features here and there. Yeah. It's locked um, in the 1920s. Right. Yeah. It's and, wonderful. Uh, and, and actually, it's a mm -hmm. bar that when people come and visit the city, a lot of them will go mm -hmm. there for the whiskies. That's right. It has huge, a good whiskey selection. selection. Whiskey. That's true. And the guys behind the bar know their stuff. Yeah, that's true. And they're true. all kind of... Yeah. Quite like, often like dressed mm -hmm. as you'd expect... You know, like mm -hmm. a, a white shirt and a yeah. sort of um, mm -hmm. uh, what was it called? apron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like a proper old school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you are passing that, it's, it's worth <laughs> before it. Before it, it before closes. It goes. Yeah. You know, but yeah, the toilet situation there is pretty good. Uh, and you, you mentioned the bridge bar. That was yeah. the same well, one. the bridge bars never ever capitulated. I don't know how they get off with it. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh that's, dear. That's but so, what? so then yeah. you're you're so if present you're you're hoping for me. Mm -hmm. um, where will people sort of be able to look out for it? Well, I will, hope the Belmont as Belmont? well. Yeah. I hope the Belmont. Yeah. I need to get in touch with them, but I was waiting until we had a product to show them. I'm sure they'll accommodate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but yeah. we've got to have our cast and crew screening first. And, okay, uh, do that we're going to do that at a secret location for right. us. And uh, it's just... The, what the film did is, again, has raised the, the issue that women's equality... And sexual equality in general still has not improved. Yeah, it seems in quite five uh, years. Yeah, because yeah. mm -hmm. the, the timing of the film seems quite mm -hmm. uh, apt for right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
Aye, you're right there. It's um, mm -hmm. it needs to be seen, I suppose, does it? And yeah. Because it's hard to think that it's mm -hmm. just the seventies. Yeah, I can. You know? I mean, <laughs> that's in, two years yeah. before North Sea Oil came ashore, right. it was two right. years. And the thing is, Aberdeen's economy was depressed. Shetlands wasn't, which is why they were able to say to the oil industry, "You want to come here, you got to pay for right, it." Pay for we it. just but had we to beg to get it. And again, it's it's there. the history, and it did. Well, again, talking of historical events that caused Aberdeen's tourism uh, grief was the typhoid back in uh, yeah. 64. Uh, again, a lot of people will know about the typhoid in the William Lowe supermarket, which is now a Sainsbury. I hope Sainsbury can this. That, uh, <laughs> so that was where, shop, the, where, the, where it, it yeah, started. It started there because there was infected corned beef corned had come beef. from Argentina and the infection had actually come because it was a... A mutant strain of typhoid. Okay. It, it normally their processes abroad would have like, burned uh, it out. Yeah. But this strain was like <laughs> coming to get you. <laughs> and the problem again that when uh, the chief health officer, Doctor McQueen, sort of he landed himself a lot of trouble with journalists as well. But he basically said that butchers the butcher counter at William Lowe had no idea about hygiene. They were you they what never is? cleaned their meat slicer, no. which passed it on to all the other meats sold. Jesus. And then there it was. <laughs> they became the typhoid so, Mary of Aberdeen. Was, where was William Lowe butcher? Right. Okay, that was it was the William Lowe shop almost at the top of Union Street near Holborn. Okay. And it's the little Sainsbury that's across from Little Tesco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next door to uh, what was the Waterhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where it is. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So people walking past that, um, looking at... Yeah, they were only there for two years, as you can imagine. <laughs> but speaking to other people, it decimated the tourism. Aye, and aye. it's really only the oil that brought it back. I won't say aye. saved it, but no, at least encouraged more people yeah, to come and visit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's your... Aye, so you've got your, your books... Which you've got a new one, hopefully, coming soon. <laughs> if I finish your writing it by the end of the year, yeah. Tours are ongoing. <laughs> yes. And um, mm -hmm. kicking off, you've got one tonight, and mm -hmm. then you're, mm -hmm. that's you off and running for the season. Well, we've actually, um, we actually started last oh, week. Oh, you started last week. Yeah, oh, right. we started on the 18th. And as I say, the mini tours were turned into doing a Saturday. Okay. So uh, last week we were at Fitty and Rosemount, and they were both sold out. Nice. So as I say, this start of the season, people are getting really excited. Yeah, so yeah. if you want to come, you need to book uh, beforehand. So, so what's the, mm -hmm. so for folk listening, where can they book your tours? Where's best? Okay, well, the great thing is that I have a contract with Visit Scotland at the old tourist office in Union Street. People can book there if they want, okay. or they can book online via Facebook page or our website, which is simply hiddenaberdeentours.co.uk. Cool. So they can yeah. go there, or like you say, if they're, if they're, if they're rather do stuff in person, they can go to the, mm -hmm. the tourist That's shop right. there on Union Street. Mm -hmm. That's handy. And your book, your books that are out, are the they three, still out there? Well, Hidden uh, Aberdeen's out of print at the moment. Right. I'm yeah. really hoping the publisher will bring it back mm -hmm. because it went out so quick Yeah. because there was a break of 18 months and then 3,000 copies just went, went. in a year. Right. So Hidden Aberdeenshire, the two Hidden Aberdeenshire ones are at Waterstones okay. and WH Smith. Apparently the WH Smith at the airport even stocks okay. them. The... Lighthouse Museum in Fraserburgh has them. Good. There's quite a few spread Excellent. out, the Shire so ones. So they can yeah. find them. And they're um, on Amazon as well. <laughs> um, and, and hopefully, as you say, May time, we'll see this film well, as well. 
everybody will hear about it. <laughs> okay. okay, well, thanks a lot. Um, I think before we finish, I've got a couple of couple of questions mm-hmm. that I think would be interesting for mm-hmm. people to 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 hear. Mm-hmm. They're pretty broad, but mm-hmm. favourite Doric word. Ooh, or phrase. I've got loads. Um, well, I think my favourite that cannot be translated in English is Drich because it <laughs> describes a particularly sort of musty, drizzly, foggy day yeah. that basically, because I suppose we have, I mean, Derbyshire's got mountains, bits of, other, bits of other counties in England have mountains, but there's just this thing. Drich is... You know it when you see it. Exactly. And <laughs> there you go. And I love it because it's so expensive. Yeah. And um, favourite maybe Aberdeen fact or factoid <laughs> that you can kind of think of, put you on a spot? Uh, well, there's loads of facts. There's also loads of legends as well. <laughs> but uh, one of my favourites is that the self-sealing envelope was invented by a stationer in Aberdeen. That's a good one. Yes. I like that one. That's a great one. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one to end on, then, I think, Fiona. So, mm-hmm. aye, thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Great stuff. And hopefully, yeah. folk will check out mm-hmm. your tours and your yep. books and all that sort of stuff. Great. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. And that was episode 56. Uh, thanks to Fiona for coming on and chatting all things Aberdeen and hidden tours and that. Hope you really enjoyed it. And. As she said, you can find more information about uh, her business on Facebook or there's a website, Hidden Tours, Hidden Aberdeen Tours, uh, uk. Or if you want tickets another way, you can go and see the travel, the tourism office on Union Street. Yeah, uh, check it out. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, remember and share, like, comment, do all that stuff. It uh, really helps uh, get the get the podcast out there and thanks to Ica for uh, asking me to stand in for him while he's uh, welcoming his his new baby daughter into the world Um, I might be back to do another episode uh, possibly, who knows we'll see, I'll speak to the boss and see if he wants more time off thanks, cheers